Every main idea verse that we've done this year has the words one another in it somewhere. So look to the screen with me and starting with the reference, let's read together the Word of God. Ephesians 4:25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And that, oh, some of you stood. God bless you. Oh, sorry, I had my back turned to you. We'll stand in a minute. Go ahead and have a seat. We'll stand for the other reading of the Word of God in a minute. I'll actually tell you when to do that. Um, April 28, 1985, I, I preached my first sermon here. My wife and family had not yet even arrived yet. And about a month later, I received a letter from Shelley Trairn. And by the way, I've been trying to teach people how to say that last name since they taught me. It's Trairn. See, I had to do her wedding that summer, or I got to do her wedding, and in doing the wedding, I didn't want to mispronounce her name. People had told me it was Trahern or Trahern or Trarin or something else. So I talked to Shelley after I met her and asked, how do you pronounce it? She said, say rare, put a T on the front and an N on the end, Trairn, and so I've learned to say it. But I hadn't yet learned when I got this letter from Shelley. It was a letter of introduction that she sent to me in anticipation of doing the wedding. You see, she lived in Wisconsin, and her fiancé lived in Minneapolis, and they were going to come here to Shelley's home church where she had grown up to do the wedding. And it was the first wedding that I got to do in this building. And so for me, it was a pretty big deal, and I was kind of nervous about it. Um, and so Shelley wrote me this letter. She said... May 29, 1985, Dear Reverend Roberts, please excuse this informal introduction. I'm looking forward to meeting you later this month to discuss my wedding and to get to know you better. My mother speaks highly of you. That was Betty, her mom, and Betty's in A2 of Devonshire Acres this morning. God bless you, Betty. Somebody go and see her this week and tell her that I read a part of this letter. My mother speaks highly of you, and I pray that you will grow to love the church and its people. Let me just check that one off. I did grow to love the church and its people. And then she writes this next sentence as someone who apparently knew what she was talking about. She wrote to me, There will be many challenges and I pray you give it a chance. Yep, I gave it a chance. The First Baptist Church and its members have taught me the love of God and the fun and opportunities of being a Christian. I left a copy of this letter for the next pastor. In the office, we've been calling him pastor new guy. And so there's a letter in there with a note from me. It says, pastor new guy, explaining where this came from. And what I hope he understands is this. There will be many challenges, and I pray you will give it a chance. And I would change a, a couple of words in that and say it to you. There will be many challenges, and I will be praying 
that you give the love of God a chance in this church. I get to hand this church off to Pastor New Guy. Well, it's more like a pass. If it was a handoff, he'd be here. But as it turns out, I kind of get to lateral it to him or, or, or shoot it off to him. And, and I'm trusting that today my aim is going to be good as I seek to hand off you to Pastor New Guy so that in coming days you will keep yourselves kept by God. That is the title of this message, and I share it with you from my heart for your future. Reading from Jude chapter 1, actually there's only one chapter in Jude, and it's right before Revelation. Sermon spy words are keep kept, Jesus and love. And would you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? Jude, starting at verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And skipping down to verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, dominion, majesty, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. The book of Jude is a not-much-read little book because it actually comes right before Revelation. And because it comes right before Revelation, a lot of people skip over it and get to the good stuff, as a lot of people would say, the end times, the, the story of the victory, you know? It's a lot of people like us who've read the end of the book and we know how it comes out. We win. And so because we're excited to get to the part that says we win, we sometimes just skip over Jude. So let me tell you a little bit about it. Jude had started this church, and it was a difficult circumstance. The church was going through some hard times, and in the middle of those hard times, a few people rose up from within the church who did not hold to the doctrines that the church knew to be true. And in the vacuum of hard times and in the press of difficulties, these people began proclaiming and teaching inaccurate ideas about Jesus and about salvation. 
And let me tell you that that's one reason that a primary feature that the search committee put on our search website when it came out back in March was the New Hampshire Confession. And I've told you and told you and taught you and taught you about the New Hampshire Confession, which is this church's doctrinal statement, what we believe to be true. And the reason that they did that is that they didn't want to be having an experience like what went on in the church to which Jude wrote, a church that had strayed doctrinally because they didn't hold on to the truth that they had learned from the apostles themselves. And so you can be assured that every person who's made it to the first cut in all those 45 folks that have been interviewed by the search committee has been someone who has already said, yes, I will teach and preach according to the truth of God's Word that is written down in your doctrinal statement, the New Hampshire Confession. So be confident. Jude said in verse 3 that we need to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He said in verse 17 through 19 that people who disbelieve the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints are those who end up causing divisions. They are worldly people devoid of the Spirit. And then he makes this beautiful statement, but you, beloved, in which he's saying with confidence, you're not like that. You're not divisive people. And I look out to you and I say, you're not divisive people. In the name of Jesus, you are not divisive people. In the name of Jesus, you are not scoffers. In the name of Jesus, you are not those who follow their own ungodly passions. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim over you that you are people of the Spirit of God. But you, beloved, what now? Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I want you to be confident going forward that this church is not even going to have a hiccup between now and glory. And I want to encourage you in knowing some things about my departure, so that in knowing these things about my departure, you can have greater confidence with regard to Pastor New Guy's coming. It was about a year before my mom died that I first had a conversation with my kids and my wife and my mom about the reality that I was getting older and someday it was going to be to the place where this church was going to need Pastor New Guy. Of course, that meant I had to be not Pastor Old Guy anymore. And so the big R word came into play, that icky, ugly R word, retirement. And we cried a lot, a particular... Christmas vacation nearly three years ago. Many of us cried a lot at my house thinking about this possibility. And I didn't want to do it. 
I still don't. But I want to tell you this so that you can see God's hand is in this. Would you say that with me? God's hand is in this. Because we are a body, when God blesses your pastor, it blesses the church. And I want to tell you about what happened. When we went to Indianapolis to bury my mother's ashes, we stayed with Tim and Laura, my daughter and son-in-law, and her then one-year-old, their then one-year-old son, Mateus, celebrated his first birthday on July 29, 2018, had my mother's ashes buried a few days after that, and then just a few days later we were getting prepared to come back to, to Sterling. Laura's next-door neighbor said to us as we walked to our car one day, Hey, John, Debbie, I hear you guys are thinking about retiring and maybe moving back here to the east. How'd you like to buy my place? I'm going to sell it. So we turned to Laura and said, Do you really want your parents living next door to you? I mean, that's pretty close. I mean, it's 60 feet from our door to hers. She said, oh, I've dreamed about it all my life. You sure it wasn't a nightmare? No, no, no. Let's. So I said, Mike, what do you, what do you think? Uh, he said, well, come on through and look at it. It's a mess. Greatest understatement of the 21st century. But it had good bones, good opportunities, hardwood floors, bunch of neat features, brick exterior, low maintenance, you name it. Uh, so we walked through it kind of held our noses as we did, and uh, got back out on the porch afterwards and said, Mike, when do you think you're going to be selling this? He said, oh, sometime next spring, early summer. That would have been this April, May, June kind of thing. We said, well, that might work out pretty well. That timing looks, looks nice to us. And so we came back here to Sterling thinking about how we were going to make transition and prepare for the ugly R word in the days that came. Shortly after we got back, got a phone call from my daughter. Dad, she said, Dad, Mike's going to put his place on the market tomorrow. I believe that was a Monday when she called. I'm not 100% sure. Sure seems like a Monday to me. Everything you've ever heard about Mondays, that's that what that day was. So I said, well, we've got to find a realtor. We've got to do something. I'll never forget kneeling next to the couch with my wife saying, God, what do we do? What do we do? And here's the only, only thing I could, could get from the Lord was go with it. So we got a realtor. I think it was the next day that she walked through that place with her video going. And we watched it on our laptop at our house, and this is how I got to make a decision about a purchase. She's walking through. It was about 10 minutes she walked through the place, describing stuff as she went. And so when she got back done with that, I said to her, so what do we do now? She said, this place is going to go quick. I'm the fifth realtor that's seen this place today since it went on the market at 9 o'clock this morning, and there are two of them waiting in the parking lot right now. We better go. And so I looked at Deb, and I said, okay. And we made an offer. Other offers came in very soon. And we told our realtor what we would go to. And we 
got the bid on Thursday night by a dollar. A dollar. And so we drove to praise team practice on that Thursday night, the proud owners of a home in Louisville, Kentucky. And I felt like I had thrown a saddle on a whale. And I was just holding on till it came up for air. Now that's not all the story. Because you got to come back to this community and get ready. So then I wrote that terrible letter that I wrote, that I read to you all at the business meeting last October. And we cried. And we'll cry again today. And in the meantime, God was doing more behind the scenes. And the more of this story you tell, you learn, the more confident I hope you are that you are involved in a thing that God is doing and He's not done doing it yet. So we went back to Louisville on a couple of three occasions, Debbie one more than I, and we've, we spent days and days and days cleaning that place up. I scraped eight different colors of paint off of hardwood floors with a razor blade. Um, and in July of this year, a longtime friend of our daughter's who lives in Australia asked if he could rent our place, and he's been on sabbatical until last week there. And he's been staying next door to his longtime friends on sabbatical in the United States, studying at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And God was in that. When we put our house on the market this summer, God was in that. God was guiding in that. We listed the thing for more than we thought it would sell for, and we had nine showings in nine days, and on the ninth day, we had a cash offer for more than asking price. God was in it. One last bit of the beautifulness of it all is that the buyers asked for a closing date of October 18th. Count them up. Seven things God did that nobody else could figure out. And God's not done. And if God did that on this end of the relationship, what is God going to be doing on your end of the relationship with Pastor New Guy? Don't you think that you ought to be getting your eyes open in anticipation of what God is going to be doing starting October 27th and all that God will be formulating and bringing to pass? I offer this to you as a testimony of the Lord's provision to increase your confidence that God is not done with First Baptist Church, that He's staying even though I'm going. And uh, we know who goes before us, don't we? We know who stands beside. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he's a friend of ours. Trust him. And here is how. With an introduction probably longer than the sermon, let's look to the Word of God and take it apart. I want you to consider the keeping power of God to keep you in relationship to Him and keep this church going the direction that He wants it to go. Trust the keeping power of God. In verse 24 of Jude, 
Jude speaks of him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. He is the God who's able to keep you. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he tells of Jesus' followers who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12 and describes his confidence in the Lord in these terms, I know whom I have believed. Can I get an amen? And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. Who can say that with me? I know and I'm convinced and he is able. Jesus said in John chapter 10, Speaking of how nobody can steal his people from the Father's firm hold on them. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you see how it works? He is a God who keeps. He keeps, we believe. We believe, and He keeps. Which comes first? Well, His keeping power comes first. We couldn't even believe in Him if it weren't for Him drawing us to Himself. Remember, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He is the keeping God. That's our confidence. That's the confidence that this church can hold on to going forward. He keeps, we believe. How does this keeping work? Well, first, we are kept for Jesus. I want you to think with me about how much Jesus loves First Baptist Church and Pastor New Guy. Think how much he loves us. Think how much he loves you personally. We are kept by God for Jesus because we are the objects of His love. Before the universe was created, the Father set His affection upon us. He drew us to Himself, and now Jesus comes incarnate in the flesh, and we hear recorded of Him in John 13, 1, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world he loved them to the end. Are you sure of that? Yes. Why? Because He loved us to the end. He held nothing back in loving us. You are the object of His love. First Baptist Church is the object of His love. Trust in Him that He will keep you. You are being kept for Jesus because you're the objects of His love. And then there's this. I love this about the way the Father and the Son and the Spirit work together to save us and to keep us. We are kept for Jesus because we are the reward of His work. We are the reward of His work. Think what He got for coming from heaven to earth, becoming incarnate, living a perfect life for 33 years, dying under the agony of the Father's wrath against our sins on the cross in our place as our substitute. What did he get as a reward for that after having been raised from the dead? What did he get as a reward for that? He got you. He got me. He got First Baptist Church. 
I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want you to say, Jesus got me as a reward. Jesus got me as a reward. Now, you don't think for one minute that having gotten you as a reward, he's going to let go of you. No, no, no. In fact, Paul, talking in his last conversation that he had with the elders, the leaders, the elders at the church in Ephesus, says this in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves, leaders, and to all the flock over which, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, listen, the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. He obtained this church by his blood. Do you think he's going to give up on it? Do you think that just because one measly little pastor is going away that he still doesn't have plans for you? Of course not. He obtained First Baptist Church with his own blood. He's not about to give up on it. Don't you give up on it either. You hear me? Next Sunday, y'all be here. I have to leave. You have to stay. Some of you read the article in the newspaper that Sarah Waite wrote in that lengthy interview she did with me. It was a nice article. She said a lot of things that were almost way too nice. But the thing that I will always remember that she somehow picked up on that interview and wrote down in that article, tell me about your 34 and a half years there. And I don't even remember saying this. Apparently I did because she recorded the whole interview. I was just a guy who stayed. I was just a guy who stayed, nothing special. Five years into Pastor New Guy's tenure here, I hope that you guys and gals will similarly be able to stay, say, we were just people who stayed. We just stayed, that's all. Just stayed. Because we learned how much Jesus loved us, and we knew that this church is a reward for His work. We are kept for Jesus, and we are kept by God. Remember this powerful God who's a keeper God. He is the God who saves. Let's remember that we're not saved by anything we do. We're not saved by religion. We're not saved by our good efforts. We're not saved by anything that comes from us as if we could produce any good thing. But here's what it says in Titus 3, 4, and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's get this straight. Let's remember who saved who. He saved us. And so he is intent upon keeping us. He went to all the effort. He made all the sacrifices. He sent his son. We are just the recipients. And so he saves us. And then he is also the God who keeps. Be confident with Paul, who wrote this to the church in Philippi. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Are you sure of this? I hope you are. 
because it's all about the one who began. It's not about us. It's about him who began a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. Therein your confidence lies. We are kept for Jesus. We are kept by God. Now Jude tells us how to keep ourselves kept. How do you keep yourselves in the love of God? How do you stay kept? How do you keep yourself in something or in anything? For example, how do you keep yourself in the seat that you're in? There's nothing genius about this. How do you keep yourself in the seat that you're in? Just don't get up and walk away. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Just don't get up and walk away. Just don't get up and walk away from God. Don't do something stupid that's going to remove God from your conscious thoughts and your actions. Don't get up and walk away. Just keep yourself in the love of God. God. And because God loved us first, that always means that we just respond to Him. We respond to His love. He already loves us. It's like the fact that my wife already loves me. I'm a jerk a lot of the time, but she still loves me. And all I need to do to enjoy her love is just keep myself in her love. Keep saying kind things, being good to her, staying close to her. And it's exactly like that with God. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Jude tells us clearly what is involved in that. He tells us how to keep yourself kept in the love of God. Just for those of you who would like to have some hints going forward about how to read the Bible and how to understand what it says, you can find this all throughout the New Testament where the Word of God will say, here's a thing to do. Do this. Love your neighbor. And then you look around that, that command, and you look for ing words, I-N-G words. Because the way the Bible is constructed and the way the original language was put together is that you can be sure that that main verb command, like keep yourself in the love of God, is going to be surrounded with I-N-G words that tell you, listen, how to do the main command. And so let me read to you verses 20 and 21. It's one sentence in the original language. And I want you to see if you can hear. I'll tell you what the main command is. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Listen for the three I-N-G words that tell you how to keep yourselves in the love of God. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Did you see them? Yep, there's three of them. Building. Actually, in the original language, it's one word, upbuilding, and then praying, and then waiting. And this word waiting literally means anticipating, looking for, watching for, living into it. So let's break those down real quickly, and I want to give you these three things in case you're feeling like you're straying or you're not feeling loved by God. If today you're not feeling loved by God, Here's where you go with it. Build up your faith. When you're not feeling loved by God, build up your faith. It says here, upbuilding yourselves in your most holy faith. 
How do you build up your faith and be sure that it's the most holy faith, in other words, biblical faith? Well, Romans 10, 17 tells us how. So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. That's how you build your faith up. Get in the Word. Oh, I wish it were more glamorous than this. If it were flashier and more glamorous, maybe more people would pay attention to this super special, highly spiritual way to build yourself up in your faith. But it's not glamorous. It's actually pretty pedestrian, pretty normal, pretty average. Just read the Word of God. Just read the Word of God. Well, where should I read? Just read the Word of God. Somewhere between Genesis and Revelation, every day, read the Word of God. But to help you with that, all you got to do is just go to the church's Facebook page, and every morning it's there three times for you. Click and click. There it is. Click brings it up on your screen. Click, you can hear it. You can hear professional narrators read it to you, and they don't even stumble over the big words. It's so easy, and it's not glamorous, but it's important because that's where your faith grows. Build your faith up. I could say nothing else to you about being faith-filled people than I've said for 34 and a half years. The first month I was here, I preached a sermon on how to read the Word of God. And so here I am, still telling you, don't make me have to come back and tell you again, okay? All right, would you get it this time around? Build up your faith by being in the Word of God, and then secondly, pray with the Spirit's help. It says, praying in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means a whole world of unexpectable and unimaginable delights. And let me give you one example of how it works with me. Every Friday afternoon for 28 and a half, 29 years, I've been walking around this community praying someplace. And every Friday afternoon, before I start walking and praying, I know that I'm going to need the Holy Spirit's help to pray. Because I'll be walking by homes. I know nothing about those people. I'll be walking by businesses. I know nothing about those people. I know hardly anything about any of the places that I'm praying for or the people that I'm praying for. And so here's what I do at the beginning of every prayer on Friday noon. I bow my head. And I literally say out loud, Lord, I don't know what to pray. Help me, Holy Spirit. Those four words are a key. Help me, Holy Spirit. Let's rehearse, okay? Here we go. Help me, Holy Spirit. One more time. Help me, Holy Spirit. And then I just start praying. And it's a wonderful, amazing thing. I prayed things I had never even thought about praying for places and people and stuff. And that can happen with you. Why do I do that? I'll tell you why. Because in Romans 8, 26, the Word of God says this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Right there, the Spirit helps. We don't know what to pray for. You know what a lot of people do when they don't know what to pray for? They don't pray. But here's what I say the Word of God says. You don't know what to pray for, so once you say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. And he'll help you. 
It says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and sometimes that's what prayer is. I'm walking by this house. I'm walking by that house. I'm praying for these people, and I'll just say this, oh, God, you know. I don't have any articulate thing to say. I don't have anything to say that informs my mind. But that's the Holy Spirit helping us pray. Would any of you have the guts to actually say, Holy Spirit, help me pray? Help me, Holy Spirit. Help me. And then just open your mouth and see what comes out. Come on. That's how you keep yourself in the love of God. Because you know one of the main jobs of the Holy Spirit is to help you know that God loves you. And so as you pray with the help of the Holy Spirit, what you're going to continuously be hearing is, see how much I love you, my little children. Almost there. Overtime game, right? If it's too long, just fire me. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? Build up your faith. Pray with the Spirit's help. And then there's this phrase, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We need to learn to live in and live out Christ's life-giving mercy. Live in and live out Christ's life-giving mercy. I want to tell you a story about this that that encouraged me an event, a moment that encouraged me to believe that God can do anything with anybody at any time. Several years ago, in my going to preach at Logan County Jail on a Thursday night, I went in and they brought in one of the women's pods. And uh, as they entered, one of the other helpers that was there for jail ministry leaned over to me and whispered and pointed to a particular young lady and said, that's the young lady that helped her boyfriend murder his grandparents a few months ago. It was all over the newspapers here. Terrible thing. And I looked at her, and my first thought was, as I looked at the back of her head, well, that's a hopeless case. She'd helped her boyfriend murder his grandparents not very long ago. And I, I remember feeling like heaven was shouting no at me. There's no such thing as a hopeless case. And so I said, okay, Lord, help me to preach and help me to not scowl at her. Help me to be merciful toward her. Help me to, to believe you that even she could be saved. Well, you know, the, the guy who wrote half the New Testament was a murderer before he wrote the New Testament, you know, Paul. And so God reminded me of that. So I got up and I preached the gospel. And the gospel that I preached that night is there are three biblical truths and three biblical responses required by those biblical truths. Truth number one is that God is holy. Truth number two is people are, and that means we're separated from God. Truth number three is that only Jesus can solve our sin problem. And I shared that. And as I shared about how all people are sinful, she began to weep. 
And I thought, well, maybe God's doing something here. What do you know? The God who raised His own Son from the dead, maybe He's about to do a miracle. And I got to the part that said, A, B, C, admit you're a sinner who needs a Savior. Believe Jesus died for your sins and commit your life to Him. And I got to the end and I said, is there anybody here who wants to commit your life to Jesus tonight? And her hand was first up. And I heard her pray. And I walked out of there scratching my head and feeling not just a little bit shamed, but pretty ashamed that I had looked at someone like that and felt that there was no hope for her. God could have looked at you and felt there was no hope for you, but He didn't. Follow up to that, several months later I was back in the jail and she was there again. Completely different demeanor on her face. She was standing up straight, and when she got her Bible out that we had given her that first night, it had been marked and highlighted and looked like it was about 20 years old. She had been getting to know the Lord who had saved her, and that night she made a commitment to spend the rest of her life in prison sharing the, the Lord. She knew she was going to be spending the rest of her life in prison, but she said, I'll just go for Jesus, sent by Him. Wait for the mercy of God. Always anticipate the mercy of God. You've received mercy, give it. Jesus Himself said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, freely you've received, freely give. Now, quickly a conclusion. The way to keep yourselves kept by God is to stay in the Word, pray in the Spirit, and be a conduit of God's mercy. Are you willing to do that? Stay in the Word, pray in the Spirit, and be a conduit of God's mercy. You can't keep yourself in the love of God by keeping the love of God to yourself. The only way to have it is to give it away. The only way to have it is to give it away. Keep yourselves in the love of God. The last thing I would say to you as your pastor has to do with the confidence of all who are saved and kept by God. Here's the confidence. My hope of holding on to Him is that He is holding on to me. I can hold on to Him, but only because He won't let go of me. Oh, no, He'll never let go. I think that should be on the screen right now. Would you, would you just read those words? My hope of holding on to Him is that He is holding on to me. Would you read that loud with me? My hope of holding on to Him is that He is holding on to me. And I've got very good news for you. He's not going anywhere. So you keep yourself in the love of God. Now, you may have heard something today that causes you to make a decision in your life, and I want to encourage you to say to the Lord, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
no turning back. Stand with me. If you've got a commitment to make, make that commitment while we sing this song. And then I think at that point we won't actually quite be done. So be patient and hold your appetites in abeyance for just a little bit longer.